Section 47 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Thomas. The Nibelung's Ring. De Ring de Nibelungen. Part 2. The Valkyrie. Di Valkura. One wild and stormy evening, a noble warrior hero named Sigmund, flying weaponless and shieldless through a dark forest, sought refuge from his pursuing enemies in the first lonely homestead he came to, and opening the door with eager haste, unceremoniously stepped within. He found himself in a strange-looking room, for the house was built around a mighty ash-tree, the huge trunk of which stood as a pillar in the centre. Finding that the room was empty, Sigmund strode forward to the hearth, and being utterly exhausted by his late exertions and flight, he stretched himself upon a bearskin before the fire, and sank into a sweet, refreshing slumber. Soon afterwards there came forth from an inner chamber a beautiful but sad-looking maiden, Sieglinde, the mistress of this curious dwelling-place, and full of surprise at seeing a stranger lying upon the hearth, she called to him in a low tone. The sound of the maiden's sweet voice aroused Sigmund, and raising his head he asked for a drink, Siglinda quickly filled a drinking horn with water and handed it to the warrior who drank thirstily. And then, as Sigmund gazed upon the fair beauty of his benefactress, a thrill of delight passed through him, and he asked who it was who thus restored him to life. Siglinda, through whose veins an answering thrill had also sped, replied that she was the wife of Hunding, a warrior, in whose house he had found shelter. And to show that he was welcome there, she fetched him a horn of foaming mead and begged him to drink again. When Sigmund returned the horn, their eyes met in a long, passionate gaze, for love had suddenly entered their hearts, and both felt that their fates would be for ever entwined. As they talked together, there was a quick step outside, and next moment Hunding, the warrior, entered the room. He was of a fierce, stern, and gloomy countenance and as his eyes fell upon the stranger standing beside his hearth, a dark scowl swept over his brow. Sieglinde explained in a trembling voice that the stranger had sought shelter in their house, and that she had given him refreshment. And then, extending a somewhat tardy welcome to his guest, Hunding doffed his weapons and bade his wife spread supper for them. When the three were seated at the table, Hunding curtly demanded his guest's name and history and Sigmund replied sadly that he was known to the world as woeful, owing to his misfortunes, and that he and a beloved twin sister had been born to a famous hero. One evening, when Woeful was still but a child, on returning from the forest hunt with his father, a terrible sight had met their eyes, for their home had been burnt and laid waste by enemies, the beautiful mother lay dead, and no trace whatsoever remained of the tender little maid who had been the sunshine of their lives. Some years later, the warlike hero also suddenly disappeared, and then his unhappy son was left to struggle as best he could with the ill luck that had followed him all his life. That evening, on passing through the forest, he had rushed to the aid of a poor maiden, whose kinsmen were seeking to wed her to a churl whom she abhorred. But being overwhelmed and disarmed by the fierce tyrants, he had been compelled to flee for his life and take refuge in the first homestead he came to. On hearing this last part of the story, Hunding's brow grew dark, and he declared with suppressed anger that they were his kinsfolk whom Woeful had attacked, adding that he himself had been called to their aid, but arriving too late to be of assistance, had returned to his house, only to find the flying foe upon his own hearth. Sigmund, seeing that he had thus unwillingly sought shelter in the abode of an enemy, 
felt that his last hour had come, since he had no weapons for his defence. But Hunding, being bound by the laws of hospitality not to harm his guest until the morrow, declared that he was safe for that night, but should die with morning light. He then bade his wife prepare his evening draught and retire for the night, but as Siglinda moved towards the inner chamber, she threw a tender, sympathising glance upon the despondent Sigmund. Then Hunding, having seen that the door was fastened, took up his weapons with a triumphant look at his doomed guest, and also departed to the sleeping chamber, and Sigmund, left alone, sank upon the hearth with troubled thoughts. Presently, as he lay gazing into the dying embers of the fire, the door of the inner chamber was softly opened, and the beautiful Sieglinde came towards him in haste, declaring that he might now depart in safety, since Hunding lay wrapped in helpless slumber, she having mixed a narcotic with his evening draught. She added that a wonderful weapon also lay ready to his hand, and then, returning the tender glance bestowed on her by Sigmund, she began to tell him a strange story. On the day she was wedded to Hunding against her will, having been forced to the deed by fierce ravishers who had stolen her from her home in early childhood, a stranger, wrapped in a dark cloak, had suddenly entered this very hall, and plunging a shining sword deep down to the hilt in the ash-tree's stem, had declared that it possessed magic qualities, and should become the prize of whichever hero could pluck it forth. All the warriors at the festive board had tried to wrench the sword from its sheath, but in vain and Sieglinde added that she knew by the kindly glance bestowed upon her by the stranger, whose features had reminded her of the father she had been stolen from, that the magic weapon was reserved for some brave hero who should one day come to offer her his love and help, and who, her heart whispered, now stood before her. These words filled Sigmund with an intoxication of joy, and no longer able to quell the love that already surged in his heart, he clasped the beautiful maiden in his arms with rapture. But, as Sieglinde gazed upon her beloved, his features and glances suddenly reminded her of the stranger who had plunged the sword in the tree, and on learning from Sigmund that his father had been known as Volsung, she exclaimed that that was the name of her own father, whose features had been reflected in those of the stranger who had approached her on her wedding morn. Sigmund, quickly realising that it was his long-lost twin sister who stood before him and whose love he had won, embraced her with even greater joy than before, and knowing now that his mysterious father, Volsung, had placed the sword in the ash tree to be plucked thence by his own son only, he hastened to the mighty tree and triumphantly drew the weapon forth, announcing its name to be Needful. Then the enraptured lovers, hand locked in hand, rushed forth joyously into the sweet spring night, and hastening with glad footsteps through the moonlit forest, they sought a place of refuge from the vengeance of Hunding, who they knew would follow them on awakening from the effects of the narcotic. Now Sigmund and Sieglinde, though they knew it not, were in reality the twin children of the great god Wotan, who, in the guise of the hero Volsung, had wooed and won a beautiful maiden of the earth, and from the first naught but misery had fallen to the lot of the ill-fated pair. As soon as Wotan's celestial wife, Fricka, the goddess of marriage and upholder of conjugal bonds, knew of the unholy love of Sigmund and Sieglinde, and of their flight from Hunding, she was filled with indignation, and summoning her roving and inconstant husband, she poured forth angry reproaches upon him for countenancing this violation of her laws. She demanded that the recreant lovers should be overtaken and punished, and that Sigmund's magic sword should be broken 
and knowing that Wotan had already dispatched one of his attendant war-maidens, the beautiful Valkyrie, Brunhilde, to assist his son against the pursuing Hunding, she bade him instantly recall her. It was in vain that Wotan, who really loved his earth-born children, pleaded for the unhappy lovers, and the angry goddess gave him no peace until he promised to cause Sigmund to be vanquished by his avenger. So the great god reluctantly called back the Valkyrie Brunhilde, and when the beautiful war-maiden appeared before him, clad in dazzling mail, fully armed, and mounted on a fiery celestial steed, he sadly commanded her to give assistance to the wronged Hunding, instead of to Sigmund, as he had at first bade her. Brunhilde, who knew that Wotan still longed to help his son, went forth upon her mission with a heavy heart, and soon came up with the fleeing lovers. After wandering onwards for many days, only stopping for necessary rest, Sigmund and his stolen bride had at length come to a wild, rocky height. But even here they did not feel safe, for they knew that Hunding was quickly following on their track. But Sieglinde was so much exhausted by her long journey that she could go no further, and sinking upon a sheltering ledge, she presently fell into a troubled sleep. As Sigmund watched beside the sleeping form of his beloved one, he suddenly beheld the dazzling figure of the beautiful war-maiden Brunhilde, and knowing that the Valkyries only appeared to heroes doomed to fall in battle, he asked in trembling tones whom she sought. Brunhilde answered solemnly that she had come to bear him, Sigmund the Volsung, hence with her to Valhalla, at the command of Wotan. But when Sigmund eagerly asked if Sieglinde would accompany him there, she replied that the maiden must remain on earth. Then Sigmund passionately declared that he would forego all the celestial glories of Valhalla if he might not share them with his beloved one, adding that with his magical sword needful he would gain the victory in the approaching fight and thus defeat Wotan of his prey. Now, when Brunhilde saw what a passionate love it was that bound these two young hearts, she was filled with tender pity, and at last, after a short struggle with herself, she resolved to disobey the command of Wotan and give her assistance to the lovers instead of to their enemy. Presently, the young warrior heard the sound of horn calls coming nearer and nearer, and soon afterwards Hunding came in sight. A violent thunderstorm now began to rage, and the sombre gloom of the wild scene was constantly illumined by the awful glare of lightning. But heedless of the warring elements, Sigmund dashed forward to meet the vengeful Hunding as he appeared on the craggy height, and quickly clashed swords with him. The noise of the storm awakened Sieglinde, and she uttered a shriek of terror as a brilliant flash of lightning revealed to her the furiously fighting forms of Hunding and Sigmund, with the Valkyrie Brunhilde soaring defensively over the latter, guarding him with her shield. But at this moment there was an unexpected interruption for Wotan himself, enraged by the Valkyrie's disobedience to his will, and bound by his oath to his celestial spouse, suddenly swooped down upon the combatants with anger in his mien. Terrified at this awful apparition of the all-powerful god, Brunhilde retreated before him, and as she did so, Sigmund's magic sword broke upon the outstretched mighty spear of Wotan, leaving him thus the prey of the triumphant Hunding, who quickly buried his weapon in the defenceless breast of his enemy. As her vanquished lover uttered his last dying gasp, Sieglinde sank senseless to the ground. But Brunhilde snatched her up instantly, and mounting her fiery steed that stood waiting near, she rode wildly away with her prize. For a few moments, Wotan gazed down sorrowfully upon the prostrate form of the hero son he would so gladly have saved. 
and then, in a terrible outburst of wrath and grief, he killed the conquering Hunding, and disappeared on the wings of the storm in pursuit of the flying Brunhilde. The beautiful war maiden rode at desperate speed, but after travelling an immense distance, her noble steed at last fell exhausted at the top of a high rocky mountain. Upon the summit of this mountain, a band of mounted Valkyries in full armour had gathered to rest on their way to Valhalla, each with the dead body of a fallen warrior lying across her saddlebag. And to these war maidens, her sisters, Brunhilde hastened to beg assistance, bearing Sieglinde with her. She quickly told them her story, and begged for a horse to continue her flight. But when the Valkyries knew that she was flying from the wrath of their beloved All-Father, they refused to give her aid, fearing lest Wotan's anger should fall upon them also, if they protected one who had disobeyed him. Seeing that she could thus no longer protect the now conscious Sieglinde, Brunhilde bade her fly onward alone, towards a certain forest ever shunned by Wotan. And when the poor maiden declared that she no longer desired to live, the inspired Valkyrie earnestly besought her not to despair, since she could become the mother of the greatest hero of the world, who should be called Siegfried. At the same time, she placed in her hands the broken pieces of Sigmund's magic sword, which she had seized as he fell to the ground. And she desired Sieglinde to keep the fragments for her son, who should forge them once more into a weapon of wondrous power. Comforted and filled with joy on hearing this prophecy, Sieglinde, no longer despairing, was eager to save herself from harm, and bestowing a grateful blessing upon her self-sacrificing protector, she quickly rushed away to the gloomy forest indicated. Amidst appalling thunder and lightning, Wotan now appeared on the mountaintop, and as Brunhilde stood humbly before him with downcast mien, the angry god declared that for her disobedience to him she should be a Valkyrie no longer and that deprived of divinity in the sweet joys of Valhalla, she should be doomed to lie in an enchanted sleep for the first passing churl to awaken and call his own. On hearing her terrible sentence, Brunhilde sank upon her knees, and with a despairing cry she implored the Allfather not to leave her to become the prey of any mere braggart, but to place a circle of fire around the rock upon which she must lie in charmed sleep that she might at least not be awakened by any but a hero valiant enough to brave the flames to gain her. For some time, Wotan refused to grant her plea, but at last he yielded, overcome by the tenderness he still felt for her, for Brunhilde had ever been the best beloved of all his war maidens. He declared that he would call forth such fiery flames to protect her slumbers as should scare away all timid cravens, and that only one who had never known fear should awaken her, the greatest hero of the world. And Brunhilde was filled with joy and gratitude, knowing that this mighty feat was reserved for the yet unborn hero son of Sigmund and Sieglinde. Wotan now gently kissed the beautiful Valkyrie upon both eyes, which instantly closed in slumber, and bearing her tenderly in his arms, he laid her upon a low, moss-covered rock, covering her graceful, mail-clad form with the long shield she had borne so bravely. Then, striking the rock three times with his spear, he uttered an invocation to the god Loki to come to his aid, and out left a stream of fiery flames which quickly surrounded the mountaintop, and with a last, long look of affection at the sleeping maiden, the god returned to his celestial abode. But the fair Brunhilde lay wrapped in peaceful slumber upon her fire-encircled couch, and though many bold travellers longed to possess the lovely maiden, none were found willing to brave the scorching flames, a deed that awaited the coming of the world's greatest hero, 
Siegfried the Fearless. End of section 47.